We continue our series on 1 John, exploring what the resurrection community was like in the early church. Begin with uh, a story from the rabbis, from uh, a commentary on the creation story. Soon after creation, the human being appeared before God. God was seated on the heavenly throne. And the human being said, um, what do you think is harder, being a human being or being God? And God said, well, it's lots harder being God. I have to worry about the, the planets and the galaxies and keeping everything going. All you have to worry about is your job and your family. And the human being said, well, yeah, that's, that's true. You have a lot to worry about. You have the whole cosmos to worry about, but you have infinite power and infinite time. I've got to do my responsibility with limited time and limited power. It's a lot harder being a human being. And God said, you don't know what you're talking about. You just don't know what you're talking about. It's way harder to be God. And the human being said, well, the only way we can get to the root of this is if we change places. And God said, I'm not changing places. And the human being whined and whined and whined. And finally, God gave in and said, okay, okay, we'll switch places for a second. And you can know what it's like to be God, and I can know what it's like to be a human being. And so they switched places. And as soon as the human being sat on the heavenly throne, the human being had infinite power and infinite time and refused to switch back. And the human being was so weak, couldn't switch back. Now, so the human being sits on the throne and God is on earth. Now, the rabbis use that as an explanation for why the world isn't in any better shape than it is in. You know, the wrong person is running the show. <laughs> I use that story because I think it shows the human desire to be godlike. You know, in Genesis, very early in Genesis, the woman is tempted, you know, Eat of this fruit, for you shall be like God. And she ate. We want to be godlike. When I think of being godlike, I think in terms of being all knowing, being in control, judging, having power exercising wrath against those who don't do what I want, being superior, being the center of things, being perfect. Now, actually, God does desire for us to be perfect. But like so much in John, we need to define our terms before we have a discussion on John. 
often we get in discussions and we get in over our heads and we get into deep water because we haven't defined our terms. In our country, socialism is a word that's thrown around a lot without definition. Defunding police is a phrase that's used a lot without a lot of definition. It's good to know our terms. Perfect, as it's used in the Bible, is not how we tend to use it. Perfect, we think, is perfectionism. Never making a mistake. Getting all the answers right. In the Bible, as Gwen pointed out, perfect means whole and complete. It means to fulfill one's purpose. It means to reach the goal. It means to be what we were created to be. You know, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, You shall be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And he isn't talking about perfectionism, he's talking about being mature, fully adult, reaching our potential. It's all actualized. For John and for Jesus, the goal is to be perfect. But we have to ask, perfect in what? Perfection is to be godlike, because God is perfect, fully actualized. But to be godlike in perfection is not to be in control. It's to be perfect in love, fully actualized in love. God wants us to be godlike, but God wants us to be godlike in love. Now, John says, God is love. And that asks for another definition. What is love? We often think love is God. I love, I love football. I love horse racing. I love Italian food. I love to travel. And that becomes our God. Football or travel or food become our God. We define what love is in this setup. But God is love says that God defines what love is. And John says that Jesus defines what it is. John says, look at Jesus for a picture of what love is. Jesus defines love 
God is not confined to Jesus, but God is defined by Jesus. As shown by Jesus, love sees, love hears, love pays attention. Love is other-directed. It focuses on the other. Jesus spent his whole life focusing on the other and seeing others. Seeing the man born blind. Seeing the woman taken in adultery. Seeing the beggars by the side of the road. And love as defined by Jesus is relational. It isn't abstract. It isn't airy. It isn't theoretical. Love is relational. It loves the person particularly. In John's gospel, John's gospel is really just a series of conversations that Jesus has with people. You know, in these conversations, he relates to a particular person. He relates to the Samaritan woman at the well. He relates to Nicodemus. He relates to the man born blind. He relates to Mary and Martha. He relates to Lazarus. It's personal. And love as shown by Jesus doesn't waste people. He's forgiving. He gives people a second chance, another opportunity. So John has told us we are to be perfect, we are to be godlike and whole and complete, and then he defines godlike as being loving, and then he defines love. And now the next thing that John does in this passage is he addresses what keeps us from being loving. Now, loving um, is often prevented by hate. It's often prevented by apathy. But what John talks about here is fear. That the opposite of love is fear. That fear prevents our loving. Perfect love casts out fear. And when I think of my life and my loves, it is often fear that prevents my loving. I fear failure. I fear not being perfect. I fear making a mistake. I do fear punishment. I fear the rejection that might come if I'm fully loving. I fear being disliked. I fear using all my resources and depleting things. Perfect love casts out fear. It's as if John is saying, I have fear and therefore I have little love. Fear keeps me from acting on love. But as I have love, I have less fear. It's as if love and fear are inversely related. Love prevents fear. 
So now he's taken us through being godlike in love and defining love and talking about what prevents our being loving. And now John takes on taking the first step in love. How do we take the first step? Why do we take the first step? This is a problem, isn't it? I'll be loving to you if you're loving to me. We talk so much nowadays about crossing the aisle and meeting the other, meeting our enemy, talking things out. And it always comes down to you first. I'm not going to do it. I'm afraid of being hurt. I'm afraid of being ridiculed. I'm afraid of making a fool out of myself. You go first, and then I'll be okay. And so that first step is never taken. And John says, the first step is always taken by God. It's always taken by love. We love because God first loved us. It's as if God opens that door a crack, opens that door of love, and love comes through. The God of love enters the room and abides with us, as John says. Love abides. And that first step gives us the courage to love. We know that this is love, that God loved us first. Knowing that God takes the first step in love encourage us to be loving, and it creates us in love. It gives us the boldness, John says, to love. If I know I am loved, I do have boldness to love. John begins this passage with the words of the song, Beloved, let us love one another. Beloved, by whom? Beloved by God, beloved by John. I think it's both. I think when John is addressing the people, he's calling them beloved by God, and therefore they're beloved by him. Have you ever been, we've all been in difficult situations where we don't know what to do. And we fall back on a default position. We fall back on what is comfortable for us. When I am in difficult positions, I will often fall back on anger. Or I'll fall back on cynicism. Or I'll fall back on sarcasm. And these are all ways of protecting myself because I'm afraid. 
What John is saying is the default position isn't that. The default position for the godlike person is love. When we don't know what to do, we fall back on love, on being relational and being particular in putting the other person first. You know, the rabbi, um, the rabbis were, were kind of right in this story. God does become human. God does become human. This is a gospel story. God becomes human to understand what it is to be human, to suffer with us. And God becomes human so that we can become godlike, full in love. This passage is very encouraging. It's as if God is saying, I'll do what it takes for you to be loving. I'll do what it takes for you to be real and alive. I'll do what it takes for you to fulfill your purpose and be loving. I'll show you what it's like to love. I'll work with you and abide with you so you can be loving. I'll take the first step to open the door to love and I'll stay with you till we get there. One of the things that is awful in life are wasted lives. where the culture or the church or an institution does not let people reach their potential to be fully who they are. This is what racism does. This is what homophobia does. This is what sexism does. It prevents people from being fully who they are and fully alive. And what John is saying is that's not God. God wills us to be fully alive and fully loving and fully human and to actualize our potential as loving beings. God is a God of love, but God is also a God of hope. And God has big hopes for us. May it be so. Amen.